Part 18 of Confessions of Two Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Confessions of Two Brothers by John Cooper Powis and Llewellyn Powis. Confessions by Llewellyn, Section 7. Africa. October 19th was too excited to sleep much. I woke often and listened in terror to the sounds of the jungle. What is going on out there in the green darkness? October 20th. Rested all day on the veranda. W brought me a lizard to look at, which she'd caught in the garden. It had a green back and the eye of a demon. Its ancestors must have been evolving some queer thoughts for it to have acquired an expression so dragon-like and so cynical. At night some boys came to say that a dead kakapo was stinking like a dead porcupine. These natives will never approach a dead body. On their own reserve they get over the difficulty by dragging the dying to the hyenas. We went out and set light to the whole hut. It burnt furiously. The cedar trees stood clearly outlined against the sky. A white native bullock came and surveyed the scene with mild curiosity. October 25th Heard a hyena howl for the first time in my life, a long low howl merging into a kind of whoop. I looked across at the outline of the black forest where the little tree aerosols were piping. Before I went to sleep, Orion had risen away to the west. October 26th Walked down to the rocks. What a country it is. It is always Africa. A strange, terrifying country. A country inhabited by clawed creatures, by creatures with striped and gilded pelts. A country where even the moles are as large as water rats, where the very nettles sting like wasps. October the 31st. In the afternoon I sold my dove-coloured flannel suit to a negro who wanted to make love, not in Venice, as I did when I bought it, but in Nashviva. November the 2nd. In the afternoon walked with W to the top of the escarpment. The long grass and clumps of trees almost suggest English parklands. Came across some elephant's dung. We returned by a game path through cool moss-grown places of the forest. I tripped over a large bone gleaming ghastly white in the spangled sunlight. W shot a duck. I picked it up. It wagged its tail, stiffened its webbed legs, and opened and shut its round brown eyes, but I did not care. November 5th. Rode the mule to the swamps. A white flamingo rose out of the rushes and floated away with graceful tilted head. When I came back, I found the tabby cat lying on the veranda, panting miserably with its hind quarters crushed. The boys would not kill it. I got a saucer of milk, but it would not drink. Quida, said the cook, and it crawled with its front legs mewing. I tried to write, but could not. At last I compelled myself to kill it, flogging it with a heavy cedar stick. A few blows, and it was dead, with its mouth open a little, and its limbs extended. I was reminded of another scene, a human being's death or a tabby cat's death. It is the same. November the 8th. 
had tea at the bees. It was dark before we got back. Mashara came to meet us with a lantern. W went to Abdullah's hut to see if we could buy any eggs. I sat on the mule outside, observing Cygnus flying across the Milky Way. November 10th. Walked to the further Shamba and then home W killed a bullock for the boys. He shot it with his rifle and it fell and rolled over with its legs in the air. The Swahilis cut it up. I peered into its reeking carcass and saw its pink lungs, its yellow dung, filled belly and a red gasping windpipe. The natives crowded around like black vultures, like hyenas. November the 20th. B arrived. He shot a monkey. He threw it down on the veranda where it lay, a little heaving man with black pads for hands and a long tail. We all three slept on the veranda. You won't believe then in religion. Sarah, thou art said to have a stubborn soul that apprehends no further than this world and squarest thy life accordingly. November the 26th. Received a letter from J. I can't get over your remoteness. We have on our mantelpiece that Machiavellian picture of you with stick and hat. It looks at me as one who would say, strike out and use your horn, old fool. O oh, strange and hidden power of destiny, how all is different now, all, all, all. These Germans are perpetually digging themselves in like great stinking badgers. They run to earth at every chance. I've just been looking at some pictures of the Indian troops. What noble faces. I think I have never seen such noble human countenances anywhere. The Sikhs, I suppose. If the war does really mean that the East is moving at last and saying to the West, civilization, the owned self, I think it is a good thing. If men have noble, generous, brave and beautiful faces, it must be right that they should conquer, eh? So much for the German sausages, for by God, they aren't a lot of Goethe's if these pictures represent them. December 5th. In the evening there was a dispute between two natives over a woman. All three came into the room. I heard the girl's voice and recognised at once the purring cat's voice of a woman. What matter though her buttocks be velvet black instead of velvet white? At night W went out after porcupines with lanterns and boys and dogs. I was asleep when he returned. He had dragged one back for me to look at, a great heavy badger-like brute, stuck all over with quills. It had a rattle at the end of its tail, and its head was large and heavy and rhino-like. December the 12th. R and A came to tea. I watched the three of them ride away, then strolled out towards the forest. I sat on a charred log. Natives shouted to each other. Humped back cattle browsed on the dry grass, and the sun slowly went down over Africa. In the evening, a letter from J. Everyone is very quiet on the ship, as if the wind were blowing over its hosts of dead, crying and going, all of them, towards the race at Portland. The spring and Elan seems out of everyone. The spring. Shall we ever see the lilacs again as we walk down to the village to post our letters and back by the park? December the 20th. 
I came back and set off at once for the forest where the leopards had killed a buck the night before. I followed slowly behind. I found them setting the trap on the other side of the river. Everywhere fragments of the buck were strewn on the ground, the four legs, the rib, the vertebrae. December the 29th. I went shooting. I rode the mule over the escarpment up a narrow path. A herd of zebras were quite close to us. January the 6th. Went shooting monkeys in the afternoon, but saw none. Sat on the ground in the forest. A few birds sang, but not like English birds. In every direction, strange white-trunked trees rose from the green brushwood. Set leopard trap. It was a dark, windy night. January 7th. Went down to the leopard trap before breakfast. Coming over the hill, we saw a spotted skin. It was a young she-leopard dead, shot through the eye. I smelt its warm yellow pelt, looked at its claws and teeth. Woolly carried it home on his back. I walked behind, stuffing stones into the hole in its skull to keep the brains from falling out. January 9th. T sent me a letter he had from G. Robin goes to school for the first time. But it's when a child gets alone with the other boys that the universe pinches him with its clumsy great finger and thumb. What a world, Christ, and God, what a world! How many playful little scenes of pinching and prodding are occurring on this side and that. Lulu, damn his sly soul, loves to have it so, and has gone off to put up silky leopards and rule over Somali tribes. After dark, I noticed a fire far away in the forest opposite. I asked the boys what it was. They said, Mungu, God. I believed them. I could see him there, well out of the way, warming his hands under the gaunt cedars. Who is Mungu? I asked. Mungu lives up there, they answered. And if he wants you to die, you die. And if he wants you to live, you live. January 11th caught an eagle in a gin. It was brought to me and laid on the veranda. Its legs and wings were bound tightly. It was not afraid. It simply surveyed me with its unflinching eye. I let it go. It flew off in the direction of the afternoon sun. It is not the first time, I thought, that an eagle has been caught in a gin. January 31st. Rode the mule down to Zizhul. Very hot. White horses careering about near the water filled me with alarm. I was directed to the office, and there I sat for half an hour while an unpleasant, pale-faced accountant catechized R. I looked at his hard, conceited face and yellow garters and hated him. February 12th. Worked all day. In the evening, a boy came for Posho. I went across with Mashira to give him some. The Pleiades were far up above a cedar tree which had something of the shape of a Tintinhull elm. I have often seen those seven stars in England. What are those stars? I asked him. Motomungu. Eyes of God, he rapped out without a moment's hesitation. Once more I got an odd sensation as though perhaps there really was a capricious negroid deity up there, around, everywhere. 
March 2nd. Wade Barley and Whitewashed Pigsty. Read a report of the funeral of the Countess Pollock at Hinton Street. George. How pitiful are all our efforts to conceal, to cast a veil over the ghastly reality within the coffin. God, I have seen dead faces. I know what they look like. I know what they say. March 13th. Unloaded the barley straw. Often throughout the day my mind reverted to scenes and sensations at home. What about the first early days of spring? The feel and the smell of the first sunny days? What about the clear early evening light and dry March dust in the bare high street as I saw it that afternoon two years ago? Here in Africa the sun and the black men and the vast tracts of land make all different and also there are no daffodils here no meadow sweet no wood anemones end of confessions of two brothers